Last week, the European Union passed $54 billion in aid for Ukraine. Today is indeed a very special day. The European Council reconfirmed Europe's unwavering commitment to stand with Ukraine. After two years of full-scale war, a survey shows Ukrainians are more united than ever in their rejection of Russia's aggression. 77% of Ukrainians are optimistic about their country's future. And how the discussion of war aid has impacts far away from the front lines of conflict. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Hello, I'm Steve Miller, in for Lori London. The United Nations highest court says that it has jurisdiction to rule on a request by Kyiv for a declaration saying that it is not responsible for Russia's claims of genocide, the justification offered by the Kremlin ahead of its 2022 invasion of Ukraine. VOA's Arash Erebasadi starts us off. Rescue workers extract bodies in the aftermath of a shelling attack in eastern Ukraine. In this Russian-occupied city in the Luhansk region, Moscow-installed officials say the attack killed at least 28 people in a bakery with at least one child among the dead. Ukrainian officials offered no comment. The news follows Ukraine's claim earlier this past week of sinking a Russian warship in the Black Sea. VOA cannot independently verify the date, location, or circumstances in the video. The Associated Press reporting private security firm Ambry says Ukraine used as many as six sea drones, each of which typically carries some 300 kilograms of explosives. This time, it was Russian officials offering no comment. It was against this backdrop of increasingly long-range attacks amid a mostly stalled Ukrainian counteroffensive that officials last week gathered at the United Nations top court. At The Hague in the Netherlands, the seat of the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, the body said it has jurisdiction to rule on a request by Ukraine saying it was not responsible for genocide. Russia used that claim to launch its invasion of Ukraine nearly two years ago. Ukrainian officials were quick to praise the decision. Ukrainian representative at the ICJ, Anton Karinovich, had a news conference as provided by the Associated Press. Today is another important day uh, in the International Court of Justice. Uh, today the court announced its decision that it has jurisdiction to proceed to the merits stage in the case Ukraine versus the Russian Federation on the allegations of uh, genocide. While a legally binding decision is likely still years away, Moscow says the court has no jurisdiction in the matter. And while U.S. support for Ukraine is stuck in congressional partisan gridlock, the European Union last week announced a robust four-year, $54 billion aid package for Ukraine. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, at a European Union news conference as provided by the Associated Press. Today is indeed a very special day. The European Council reconfirmed Europe's unwavering commitment to stand with Ukraine. We all know that Ukraine is fighting for us, so we will support them with the necessary funding and provide them with a much-needed predictability. Meanwhile, at a field hospital just a few kilometers from frontline fighting, injured soldiers arrive in need of medical attention. 
One soldier describes increasingly closer explosions until one struck his position, saying his leg then moved wherever it liked. And for those stationed on the southeastern front, a visit from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in which he handed out medals to soldiers near a position once occupied by Russian forces. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. And joining us from Kiev, Ukraine with more is Anna Chernikova. Anna, over the weekend, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited the front lines. A video shows him there speaking with the troops. But this is coming at a time where there's also a very public disagreement, shall we call it, between he and one of his top military leaders. How is that playing out in the public sphere? Well, it's actually perceived uh, quite negatively within the society because uh, according to the latest surveys uh, that were published by the independent uh, institutes uh, in Ukraine, Ukraine, um, Zaluzhny, uh, Valery Zaluzhny, who is a current uh, commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine, he has the most support from people. So he has, if I'm not mistaken, over 70% um, uh, support, and it's the most support uh, any of the either military or political leader uh, has currently in Ukraine. And uh, of course, it's not quite, you know, quite a big surprise, because uh, as experts and as analysts, uh, say uh, during the war, it's very uh, well. It's quite uh, it's it's quite normal that military leader has more support and more positive um, a more positive attitude towards him uh, or her uh, than political leaders. Uh, we can say that, uh, of course, uh, people are scared. People have this, you know, fear that uh, if Zaluzhny is gone, then Ukraine might not be able to continue, you know, to fight and continue this, uh, you know, um, successful fight uh, with Russia. If we if we look at it like Ukraine survived, so for, for people in Ukraine, it's already a success that Ukraine survived and that Ukraine is still alive. And and in the time that we have left, what can you share with us about some of the fighting? In the area of Avdiivka, it's really the situation is changing every hour, so it's really difficult to to you know to to be sure that uh, the latest we have uh, available is actually is the actual state. Uh, what we know from the latest that uh, Russian forces had certain success and uh, a lot a lot of people, servicemen, Russian servicemen are involved in this uh, Avdiivka assault. And um, at this point, just today, there were footage of Ukrainian soldiers still in Avdiivka, so um, it's not completely captured by Russian forces, but uh, it looks like that uh, situation is extremely, uh, um, extremely critical for Ukrainian forces. Ukrainian forces, according, again, to, to what we know from the latest, uh, are trying to keep their defense positions or are trying to prepare new defense positions to, to be able to remain certain control in that area. Anna Chernikova reports for us from Kiev, Ukraine. And as always, we thank you for your reporting. Thank you, Steve. Now, after two years of full-scale war, a new survey shows that Ukrainians are more united than ever in their rejection of Russian President Vladimir Putin and his ambitions for their country. However, pride at their success in standing up to a much larger adversary is also tempered by anxiety over future international support. VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gangadze has more. A decade ago, Ukrainians took to the street to protest their corrupt pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych. Despite facing a harsh crackdown, the revolution of dignity persisted, leading Yanukovych to flee to Russia. 
Soon after, Russia invaded eastern Ukraine and annexed Crimea. After years of a low-intensity war, on February 24, 2022, Putin started a full-scale invasion, aiming to conquer Ukraine within three days. However, Ukrainian forces resisted and, with international support, successfully reclaimed some initially captured territories. In his 2024 New Year address, President Volodymyr Zelensky told Ukrainians their nation has become stronger. Ukraine stala silnisha. Ukrainci stali silnisha. Two years after Russia's full-scale invasion, Ukrainians are unbowed. A new survey by the National Democratic Institute, a research organization funded by the U.S. and other Western governments, finds 77% of Ukrainians are optimistic about their country's future and are doing what they can to help with the war effort. Those sentiments are evident among people VOA interviewed on the street of Kyiv. Uh, my life changed a lot uh cardinally changed because uh, I have now I'm volunteering I have a lot of friends in military and I'm like uh, live in this war and as a key resident who did not give his name says he has nothing to fear the strengths shown by Ukrainians and the way they responded was unexpected by many says Ivan Libovitsky head of the Frontier Institute a policy think tank in Kyiv it's the people, it's the resilience that is in the people is what actually surprised uh, the world. And I think uh, this was one of the things that the West did not anticipate, was how determined uh, Ukrainians would be, how resilient they would be, how strong they would be. Yet today, as battlefield losses mount and the war settles into a punishing stalemate, Ukrainians are adopting a more realistic perspective on the war, says Marcin Valetsky, Ukraine's country director at the National Democratic Institute, which conducts regular polls. Ukrainians do realize that this would be a long war. In May 2022, um, majority of Ukrainians were thinking this is going to be up to six months. Right now, 43% believe the war will continue for at least another 12 months. The survey suggests most Ukrainians strongly prioritize seeing their country become a more democratic. When asked by NDI how important it is to them that Ukraine become a functional democracy, 93% said it was important or very important. Martin Maletsky explains. The major challenge for the country um, when we ask about key institutions which have the highest level of trust when it comes to fighting corruption, on the first place you have investigative journalists. On the second place you have a civil society. So the spirit of revolution of dignity is still there. You know, Ukrainians would like to see journalists and civil society controlling political elite. Before Russia's full-scale invasion, NDI's polls showed differences in public opinion on joining NATO between the more Russian-speaking regions to the south and east and the rest of Ukraine. Two years later, almost 9 out of 10 respondents want to see their country join NATO, and support for EU membership is even higher. Martin Maletsky says surveys show Ukrainians are ready to make sacrifices to achieve their goals. Most of the Ukrainians realize that EU membership, NATO membership, this is going to be a long process. This is going to be a marathon. And they're getting 
they're running shoes, they're prepared for that. Nearly 90% of Ukrainians expresses worry over a diminishing global backing for Ukraine. As Ivan Libovitsky sees it, the world must realize Ukraine is fighting to defend the very values that the West holds dear. Mm, uh, we hear the voices from the West uh, that it's fatigued. That actually means that the Russians have scored a victory against the West in the West. And that is exactly the problem that Ukrainians have been yelling about, that look, uh, the Russians see the weaknesses. Ukrainians view reduced international support, corruption, internal divisions and disinformation as top threats, second only to Russia's military aggression. Miroslava Gungadze, VOA News. And in just a few minutes, a first for Ukrainian filmmakers and the Associated Press. We are the country that, that was attacked and uh, our cinema will be inevitably telling the story of, of that war. This is VOA News. listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Miller. Over six million Ukrainians have fled fighting in their homeland since Russia launched its full-scale invasion back in 2022. Even as the war continues, Ukrainian officials are laying the groundwork to get those citizens back in Ukraine once the war ends. Maria Ulyanovska is up next. Today, Ukraine does not legally allow its citizens to have dual citizenship. Rather than enforce the laws on the books, in 2021, President Zelensky submitted draft legislation to Parliament that would allow dual citizenship. Then, Russia invaded Ukraine, and the postponed law was put on hold. Since then, more than 6 million Ukrainians have fled the fighting in their homeland. In January 2024, Zelensky introduced a new similar measure. His proposal would allow Ukrainians living in certain countries to have dual citizenship. I want our people abroad, especially women and children, to hear this. When you find jobs and build a new life there, do not rush to renounce the citizenship of Ukraine. The Ukrainian World Congress, a non-profit organization founded in 1967, has long been advocating for the legalization of multiple citizenships in Ukraine. According to the group, there are some 20 million people around the world of Ukrainian descent who cannot get Ukrainian passport under the current law. It will help motivate Ukrainians to come back home and unite our 65 million nation. Ukraine needs the brains and hands of Ukrainians abroad to win this war and rebuild the country. Supporters say the new bill will simplify the process for citizens who live in the EU and G7 countries, and for anyone who fought against the Russians since the Crimea invasion of 2014. The bill requires the approval of parliament. That process could take about a year. Maria Ulyanovska, VOA News, Washington. A group of U.S. senators on Sunday finally unveiled a major bipartisan U.S. border security bill that would also provide aid to Ukraine and Israel after months of negotiations. Reuters' Diane Toe reports that support in the House of Representatives, however, 
isn't as strong. The $118 billion proposal could bring about the biggest changes in the country's immigration policy in decades. However, it was immediately set upon by Republicans in the House of Representatives. While President Joe Biden urged Congress in a statement to swiftly pass this bipartisan agreement, House Speaker Mike Johnson declared it dead on arrival if it reaches his chamber, saying on social media that the bill is, quote, even worse than we expected. Despite the opposition, Senate lawmakers behind the bill are vowing to push ahead. Independent Senator Kirsten Sinema, one of three bipartisan negotiators, told reporters the legislation would secure the U.S. southern border. It includes having Homeland Security officials temporarily shut down the border if too many migrants cross over a sustained period of time. The bill would also end the controversial practice of catch and release by speeding up the handling of asylum cases instead of quickly letting apprehended migrants go and allowing them to stay in the U.S. for years while they await hearings. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he would try to hold an initial vote on the bill on Wednesday. The top Democrat said the deal would provide more frontline and asylum personnel and bring about faster and fair immigration decisions. Though some progressive Democrats are angry about the lack of solutions for so-called dreamer immigrants brought into the country as children. According to Senator Patty Murray, who chairs the Senate Committee overseeing spending, the legislation will put $20 billion into border security. It also pledges $60 billion for Ukraine in its war against Russia, $14 billion for Israel, and almost $5 billion for U.S. allies facing aggression from China in the Indo-Pacific, such as Taiwan. Another $10 billion would go to aid for civilians in conflict zones. Top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell has supported the bill, saying his party would not get a better deal under a Republican White House. Diane Toe reports for Reuters News. Now, the debate over funding Ukraine in its war with Russia has wide-reaching implications, even far away from the front lines. VOA's Kane Faribault has more on the impact to refugee settlements in Chicago, Illinois, the second-largest home in the United States to Ukrainians who have fled the war. War came to Oksana Balan's village in the Chernyiv region of Ukraine when Russian tanks rolled through as hostilities began in 2022. Her family mostly avoided the bombs and bullets that followed. But her 14-year-old daughter Sophia's efforts to document the invasion on social media drew the attention of Russian authorities. Fearing for their safety, Balan made the difficult decision to flee Ukraine with Sophia, as her husband stayed behind. We understood that we have to do such decision for education of our daughter. With just a few suitcases, the Balans eventually landed in Chicago in November 2022. They found temporary housing and assistance, thanks in part to the efforts of the nonprofit organization Refugee One. We'll have served about 5,000 Ukrainians since the start of this war. Zachary Dimiterko is a communications manager for Refugee One, which provides services to refugees from around the world seeking new lives in the Chicago area. We provide cash assistance, enrollment in schools for children, help with tutoring, English classes, volunteers, mentors. Balan says assistance from Refugee One, funded by both private donors and U.S. government programs, was crucial during their resettlement, including help securing a new apartment. For newcomers, it's a huge challenge. 
because they don't have like social security, any credit score. Maybe they don't have enough salary for that. We worked at it for a few months and we did it. If they hadn't come when they did, their life would probably be very dramatically different. The overall funding package for humanitarian programs and military aid related to Ukraine ended September 30th, the close of the U.S. government's fiscal year. The lapse in funding since has impacted Refugee One's ongoing work. We can no longer even take in or help um, Ukrainians who are arriving in the U.S. after September 30th. New funding related to overall aid for Ukraine is at the center of continuing debate in the U.S. Congress. It's affecting the war on the front lines and it's affecting the war that's going on here in Chicago in terms of trying to deal with the situation of people not being able to rebuild their lives in the country. Sophia Balan, now 16, attends the Walter Payton College Preparatory High School and practices the viola with instructors at Chicago's Merritt School of Music. She is grateful for the opportunities she now has, but worries about the political will in the U.S. to continue supporting refugees like her and soldiers still fighting in the country she fled. You just turn on the news one morning and watch the news about how the U.S. Senate has run out of everything. And at that moment, you wonder, what will happen to my country? A country on the brink of a grim anniversary, two years since Russian forces invaded. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees estimates more than six million people have fled Ukraine since the war began in February 2022. Kane Fairbaugh, VOA News, Chicago. And finally... A team of journalists who filmed the devastation of Russia's siege of Mariupol in Ukraine have been nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary. Katerina Lusanova has that story to round us out. And now the nominees for Best Documentary Feature Film. 20 Days in Mariupol. A moment of pride from Stislav Chernow and his team as their documentary is nominated for an Oscar. But, says Chernow, the recognition for 20 days in Mariupol is bittersweet. It is a bittersweet moment, a moment to acknowledge that the world cares. Uh, and at the same time, the moment to acknowledge that this all happened and this film exists because of the huge tragedy. Produced by the Associated Press and PBS Frontline, the documentary takes a comprehensive, unsparing look at the first weeks of Russia's full invasion. Chernow arrived in the port city of Mariupol with Yevgeny Maloletka and Vasilisa Stepanenko about an hour before the bombardment in early 2022. In weeks that followed, they filmed the aftermath of strikes, one of which hit a maternity hospital. Chernow says the documentary shows the reality of Russia's war. It just became so much more than just the story of Mariupol. It became the story of all the Ukrainian cities that got destroyed by, by Russian bombs. With the film showing in Kyiv and at international festivals, Chernow says he feels a responsibility to preserve the memory of Mariupol and to represent his country's film industry. 
The Oscar nomination is a first for Ukrainian filmmakers and the Associated Press. And I wish I could represent it in, in, in a much better, more peaceful way. But this is this is what it is now. Uh, we are the country at war. We are the country that, that was attacked. And uh, our cinema will be inevitably telling the story of, of that war. His colleague Vasilisa Stepanenko also sees the nomination as a chance to ensure that Mariupol citizens are heard. I remember being in Mariupol, how people said to me that we all forgot about us, we have no voices, everyone will like forgot about us, no one will help us. But now we can say that people from Mariupol have their voices all around the world. And I'm so proud of this. Stepanenko and her colleagues will find out if 20 Days in Mariupol wins its category at the Academy Awards on March 10th. Katerina Lisunova, VOA News. And that'll do it for us this week. Be sure to stay up to date with our continuing coverage not only on Ukraine, but on news and events from around the world. You can do so 24 hours a day at our website, voanews.com, as well as on our social media platforms. Just be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Steve Miller.